All right. Welcome to the latest episode of the Dan Time Podcast. I'm your host, Dan McArdle. It's great to have you here. I hope you all enjoyed as much as I did last week's episode with DJ Sims. DJ was incredibly open about his story, his childhood, and we walked down some paths that I was expecting and others that I had no idea we were going to cover. But I know it was really important for DJ to get his story out to anyone it might positively impact. And what a big impact he had and is having in Smith Station. I love this guy and can't wait to bring him back on the show. For this week, I reached way back to someone who's known me since I first got my driver's license. I may have carpooled him around. Sean Rockstar Henniger. Look him up on X at Rockstar BHM, as in Birmingham. Sean has been writing and performing music for over 20 years. He's been on recent tours with the Black Jacket Symphony. He produced the hugely successful sports talk show, The Roundtable, on WJOX-FM, Birmingham, Alabama. Since 2021, he's also been the producer of the all-digital program, The Next Round, featuring the same cast from The Roundtable, Jim Dunaway, Ryan Brown, and Lance Taylor. Sean is a funny, funny guy, and I don't know that he really unloaded on this episode, although you are going to hear a few times he'll sneak up on you. You'll, you won't even see it coming, and uh, it's, a, it's a type of humor that you don't hear every day on the street. So uh, I'm really excited to just introduce a little bit of the Sean that I know and have known for such a long time. I go to great lengths to protect this show from the sounds of small children playing, fighting, fussing, squealing, cats meowing. I try to schedule calls around all these obstacles, and most of the time it works pretty well. But folks, I'm here to say it's not a bulletproof plan. And as you'll hear in this call with Sean, we were both in a bit of a jam. And I have to applaud him for making it work. I don't think he really had the time, but but he made the time for it. Our schedules were tight, and it ended up being nap time for his toddler, which forced him onto his front porch for the call. And we were going to do a video call, which we did, but the audio was a little compromised in certain spots. You'll hear it. It's, it's a little less than ideal, but not enough to really wreck the episode, so... I'm not going to worry about it too much. I had my two boys, namely my two-year-old, trying to beat down the door, towards mostly towards the end. So you'll hear some stuff. Hopefully you get a laugh out of it. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't real crazy about it at the time, but, you know, life happens and maybe you can relate to that as well. There's a video component to this episode and look for it to appear on the YouTube channel sometime this week. I'm going to give you a heads up. It is raw and uncut. And I don't plan to do a whole lot to dress it up, but I plan for it to be something to build on as I look to add this feature to Dan Time for certain episodes. Okay, be sure to check out the next round. You can actually pull it up on any podcast platform, and they've got it broken down into hour one, two, or three. Or you can listen live each weekday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on YouTube or Facebook. I'm probably missing a couple other locations you can find it. Maybe tune in, maybe iHeartRadio. Check it all out. It's good stuff. I listened back when it was the Jocks Roundtable and it was I'm not just saying this, the best sports talk show at that time. I mean we were really spoiled. So go check that out and let's cut right to it now and get to my conversation with Sean Rockstar Henniger. We've landed here on Sean Henniger, and Sean and I go back, I think we go back to the, the early years of the, the Clinton administration, perhaps. <laughs> we do. At least the mid-90s. Uh, Sean probably remembers my first my first car. My, do you remember the Red Rocket? I do. I remember the Red Rocket. Was it a two-door? It was four-door, but it was uh, manual windows. Yes. yes. Manual locks. And- Heavy high-pitched stereo system that was heavy on the treble, very heavy treble. You remember that? Those speakers. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do remember that. And your brother had a sweet 929. Yes, he did. I missed the 929. They, did, they don't make I them did. like that anymore. 
They don't. I remember he uh, had the sunroof and the windows all down one day, and we went to the mall, and a torrential downpour happened, and uh, those cloth seats never smelled the same after that. <laughs> uh, Seems like just yesterday. Can I ask you a question, Dan? Yeah, go ahead, how Sean. Many, how many Dans did you go through, uh, Danielle's, and uh, maybe you had a few Donnie's. How many Dans did you go through before you decided to go, like, you know, maybe that having only Dans is not going to work out? Well, I'm still pursuing as many Dans as possible. Uh, what happens, folks, and I think I mentioned this on the first episode with Jim Powell. Actually, I started with Jim. Um, Hello, Jim. You, uh, you get turned down a few times in an enterprise like this. You get people who either don't officially decline your invitation, then you do get people who say thanks but no thanks, or hey, listen, I appreciate it, but I'm busy right now. So I have not had uh, as many dances as I'd like, but it's going to continue. I have had, let's see, we had Dan Weinrib, then we had okay. Dan Lindemann, then we had Danny uh-huh. Zimmern. I think we had about four in a row of Dan or Danny and then we broke it up with a Chris and a Vic, and then we had, uh, I think we've had another run of three or four. Well, why don't you just change the rules to be as long as the guest knows a Dan, because you can have Dan Cortez. Sure, he's not busy right now. Uh, Dan Levitard, Danny DeVito, um, <laughs> uh, Don Johnson, and just Chris pronounce his name as Dan. What about Dan and Dave from uh, the 92 Summer Olympics? Okay, we're showing our age now. Yeah, the huge campaign that Dan and Dave were going to rule the world. I don't think Dan even got to compete. I didn't think he qualified. So it was only Dave. That, after that's that huge, correct. Huge, huge Nike promotion. Dan didn't qualify. So I think Dan <laughs> O'Brien was his name. Get, get Dan O'Brien on. Yeah. So really the evolution is taking shape here. And my wife, Natalie, even suggested that ultimately the theme of the show needs to be the guest and what they do with their time. You know, what's how do they use their time? How do they not use it? I'm kind of in, in agreement with that too. But uh, just to roll it out, to, to roll it out the gate, I really wanted to stick with something that nobody else was doing. At least I haven't heard of people doing a Bob talking to other Bobs. Yeah. <laughs> kind of but I mean, bad if your name was like Namesh or something. Yeah. And one thing, Sean, I know you probably haven't been listening to the podcast, and that's quite all right. It's probably good that you haven't because. Uh, I don't want you to hear it till it gets good. And oh, <laughs> but it is yeah, getting good. It is. I mean, you have a concept and you're doing it. It doesn't matter about the the the, the quality of it just yet. It's just the fact that you're doing it. A lot of people say they're going to start something. One day I'm going to start a podcast and it's going to be the but you. I give you the kudos for even getting more than three episodes deep because most people are like, I did two. It didn't really stick. I wasn't getting as much listeners as I thought I was. Just didn't like doing it. I wasn't enjoying it, so I just quit. So uh, kudos for that. Oh, thanks, Sean. You know, I think that, you know, just to get serious here, sometimes on this show, you have to let people know when you're being funny or serious. But yes, I think people this day and age, (laughs) maybe people who are younger than us by 10 years or so, they might get discouraged too quickly when they don't see things like the number of followers escalating rapidly, you know, that it's not happening fast enough. And their their uh, Twitter followers are, are stuck at six or 22 and they want that to be yeah. 500 and it ain't happening you have to act like that's not even an issue and just uh roll out your product roll out your idea well it's just being in radio and media for the past 20 years of my life which is insane um you have a lot of people that say that you know i'm funny or I, people always tell me how interesting i am and i should have my own show or my own podcast because like everybody thinks my stories are so funny and my life is so crazy is that yeah, let's 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 plan your first two episodes. What are you gonna do on episode 17? Uh, what are you gonna do on uh, stuff? Is, your stories are gonna run out if you don't have good good quality. So that's the thing with me is I, I was always concerned that I could do about three or four podcast episodes on my life and then I'm like I'm running out of material. Yeah, for me, what I thought I could count on because again to go out and ask Dan whoever whether he's A list or B list or C list. And to just send that blind email, hey, man, I got a podcast called Dan Time. I'd love for you to be on it. You have to factor in that more likely eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 are going to either ignore you or say not so interested. And so you need to kind of count on maybe your existing network, which that's really what's carried the show along, which I haven't gone off track. I haven't gone off my schedule is because. There's always people, and it's not just anybody. I make that a point that, you know, I'm everybody our age, 
doing the things that we've done, you know, you, you know a lot of people, but I won't have just anybody on this show. You got to have a story to tell. It doesn't well, mean you have to have a, yeah. you don't have to have this endless list of accolades. So I want to make that clear to people if they've been listening and want to be a guest on the show and they're like, well, I haven't really done anything or been recognized for anything. That's okay. Uh, you can still be a guest. But yeah, Sean, I think it's just, and you can speak to this, just sticking with something. Relationships take a lot of work. Yeah. Changes, uh, changes in your household take a lot of work. I mean, I've, we've had three children. I remember what, what it was, the stress was like when we had the first and then the second. Oh, yeah. That's and then now, yeah, and I remember when I first met my wife and things that seemed a little stressful then, it's like that was absolutely nothing. But just, I think, I don't want to generalize that people give the, give up too soon, but. Well, no, there's, there's just stress of everyday life where you, I mean, like it's all, it's all um, relative to what your stress is. You're, you're three kids to my one kid. I'm super stressed, but I can't imagine what your stress is with three kids. Uh, and then you say you go back to how stressed you were with your first kid so i got one that's constantly on the move uh we constantly have to keep entertained um that will not sit still and then i i know a woman that had a toddler with triplets so having triplets and a toddler i go okay i have no i have no room to complain about how stressed (laughs) and overwhelming my day is because it's all relative it's what you you think about like because with you with three three i cannot imagine having three because he i have i'm outside right now doing this because he just woke up from his nap and um, he is a bat out of hell when he's up from his nap. He's running everywhere. Uh, it's it's all relative, and it's hard to get. You know, I love. I'm a musician. I would love to record some stuff and some ideas I have and write some more things. But it's amazing how people adjust their lives to the pursue what they love. And it's, it hadn't been an easy transition for me. Uh, inside the house is pretty much off limits when my son is around to do anything creative because um, I, 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 we don't have the silence for it. So. Uh, I admire you for trying to do a podcast with three kids uh, at home. Well, that's 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 admirable. That's determination. Uh, well, I was I'm glad you brought that up because it was something I've been thinking about. If, if you're a creator of anything, whether um, whether that's art or you're you're a sculptor or, or you're a screenwriter or you write music or play music, uh, and I don't know if my microphone can pick up my two year old crying on the other side of the door, but Sean. Pretty awesome. Sean, do you think it's a it's particularly challenging for someone where like yourself, where the wheels are always spinning and you've got this great idea and then oh my god, I gotta go change a diaper. Uh or I can't work on this right now and I might lose that uh that moment that yeah. I had. I know it's it's very frustrating for me and I have to find ways to deal with it. Well you're dealing with it right now and I admire that. But see I, I feel that like my wife and I split it 50 50 where sometimes like if it's my turn to rock at night and it's her turn to rock, I could, I use that 45 minutes to get whatever I can done. If it's a piece of work or something else, I just, I have to, I can't do anything creative in the house right now. I, and hopefully when he gets older, he'll be, I'll be able to have like a door closed whenever this door closed, dad's working. But right now it's just, there's, there's no boundaries with him. He can, he goes in the bathroom with you. He, he cries. He'll throw himself on the floor. If you uh, take away a spoon. So we're just at that phase where I just got to, Everything creative I do has to be outside outside of designated square of where I live. And you just have to adjust to that. And then, you know, I do some creative stuff on the show where I have to come up with comedy bits every Friday during football season. And I end up just doing those after hours at work because that's the only time where I can I kind of have a, a quiet moment where I don't I'm not worried that somebody has uh, dropped a D in their bat in their uh, diaper and have to change them. So. You know, it's just constant stuff like that. I got it's it's hard, but again, it's all relative because there's somebody else doing. And it's just amazing that you have these musicians that have what well, they also have like full time nannies that they're clearly, hey, I'm I have this wing of the of the chalet that I use for writing, uh, so don't don't come in here and I'll see my kid on Tuesday. Uh, we we don't have that. I wouldn't want that, but uh, we don't have that uh, ability to do. And I understand. I, I I wish I could do more, but then I I don't have. I think if I had, it's sad because if you get that alone time, my inspiration was, God, I got, I got an hour alone. I think I'm going to lie down and, uh, or I'm going to catch up on some laundry. Uh, like my wife and I say, like, we have not watched a TV show or a movie in probably a year. All we do is watch Coco Melon and Blaze and uh, Paw Patrol. And it's just like, we have, we don't have, we, I don't know when somebody talks about succession, I was like, I missed the boat because we, we just don't have time to watch it. So I used to go to movies all the time. I used to read books 
all that's out the window. I have to be on tour on a bus to uh, download a program or uh, read a book. And so it's just that stuff where you're, you're loving what you got with a kid, but then like it's t- taking a lot of stuff away that you used to be, I guess, selfish about. Sean, it's funny you mentioned that last night. I mentioned to Natalie, I said, hey, honey, do you want to maybe try to get a babysitter? Like we uh, mentioned this babysitter that we use. I said, you want to have her come over for two hours one night while we're here, just so we could go back in the bedroom and watch a movie from beginning to end. And I thought she was going to say, no, that's that's ridiculous. And she said, no, that's uh, yeah, we could try to do that. Yeah, I, a babysitter. Why you're? A, well, it's a great idea, but only I, the kids can't know that you're in the back room because if they know that, they can get tattle on the other one. Like they're gonna, they're gonna supersede the babysitter, just run to your bedroom door and just start banging on. So if you can kind of sneak in there and say, hey, I, to to fool your children, like to get in the to do the fake, get in the car, like okay, we're going, we're going to another city for another a couple of hours, and then just stick the back door back into your bedroom and just try to be quiet the uh the links you have to go to but i totally i totally understand that that's a good idea our house is so small he would know we're here um like we have this teeny tiny ranch ranch house like you hear a toilet flush the whole house so there's there's no way we can do that but that's a great idea kudos to natalie for thinking of that now you thought of it kudos to natalie for accepting the offer well we did we haven't done it yet but we you know I, i think that we can probably line this up in the next week or so i mean we used to watch shows on netflix or gosh even stuff on abc not like sitcoms like family sitcoms yeah. but there was uh timeless remember that that yeah. series timeless i gave or uh she used to call it executive decision it's actually des- designated survivor. About three or four uh chances oh, so let's start with keeper sutherland and end it with another guy yeah i saw that one too like i um I'm, i used to go to movies all the time too but i just i can't tell you the last not even a kid's movie because i sounds too young for it but I can't say the last time we were at a theater to see a movie. I can't remember. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You know, Warren, my oldest, is he's going to be six next month. And he's at an age where we've gone to the theater a couple times, and he, he really enjoys that. And so you got a few years to go. But when you can take your kid to the movie theater, it's a it's a fun experience. And uh, show, him, show him the new Saw movie and, like, really get into that. Because it's Halloween, right? You got to show him a good horror flick. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you, for Halloween, when you have a baby, how old is he now? He's 17, he's about to be 18 months, so a year and a half. A little, a little small for a costume, or do you, do you have? Uh, I have an, I, I had an idea of what we could do. Um, he's obsessed with cars, the movie, that's one thing we have to watch 6,000 oh times a day. And, uh, my wife Nancy got him a little, it's pretty much a, one of those costumes with a Lightning McQueen where you just like, put suspenders over it and it's just this car that you just like strap onto his clothes. Uh, we went to a carnival with that. And then I had an idea where um, uh, maybe Travis will remember, I don't know if he will, but back in the day in the eighties, I was a huge uh, Pee Wee Herman fan. I was obsessed. And I got the uh, shout out to Danny right here. I've got a costume, Pee Wee Herman costume from Big B Drugs in Vestavia. Uh, the one that was the rubber, ma- the plastic mask with the rubber band. And it was basically nice. uh, tight. I got the Pee Wee Herman's uh, suit, and I was that for three or four consecutive Halloween. Couldn't let it go. Insane. I grew out of it. Like, pants were flut. No, the, the, the mask smelled abhorrent. Um, all that child breath that's been in it. And so I decided, that since Paul Rubens passed away earlier this year, I thought it'd be great if uh, my son and I dressed up as Pee Wee Herman. We're seeing if we can do it. I don't know if we can pull it off, but there's not many uh, 17-month-old options for a little gray suit that's not, uh, like, 200 bucks. So we're going to try that. And... Uh, and he's going to be miserable. Last year, he was Charlie Brown because he was just at six months old when he was his first Halloween. And we were in the stroller just walking around and he was he was over it. He, I think he was sick, too. That's another thing is uh, once the daycare started, we are sick every week with something, some new strain of, of flu or bug or cold or uh, stomach virus. So um, that's been fun, that adjustment period, especially with the, your voice is your, uh, your source of income. What are you going to do? Sh- Sean, I literally can't believe everything that you're saying is is extremely and immediately relatable. Like Cars, uh, Warren was obsessed with the movie Cars for three years. I mean, he still likes it. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't turn it on all the time. But um, and then the oh, illnesses, cr- the the colds, the cr- the disgusting runny noses. It, it, oh, it's, it's always a runny nose, and it's you it's will dry it, too. Like yes, yeah, dry, it's gross. As a parent. You will get sick. 
you, there's, you cannot avoid it. You cannot wash your hands enough. You can't clean all the little surfaces and the little things they touch, the doorknobs enough. Forget about it. You will get sick. I've been sick all week. This is the best that I've felt. And I was a little worried about how it's going to sound, but this is like the back end of a bad cold. It's, yeah, they're awful. Uh, I get them all the time. And what's is, crazy about cars is you're, that Warren, like, uh, Cord is my son's name's Cord, and he loves one and three, absolutely pays no attention to part two. Will not even give it a shot. We watch one and three and or over and over and over. We try two like five or six times. He just checks out. He will not, he will not focus on two. It's weird. And he loves part, those little Disney short. Part three is the, uh, is where McQueen is now the, the mentor. Old man. Yeah, he's got a protege man. driver, the yellow car, I think. And then part two is where they're they're in France, maybe. It's like a James Bond spy film. Like it's uh, I think Michael Caine's in it. Uh, well, I go to like to go to Hong Kong. I absolutely, absolutely love Mater because I've, I've been forced to watch this yeah. movie so much. It's like, you know, when you when you're just a captive to a movie and over time, it's not like Stockholm Syndrome where you fall in love with your captor, but you're like. Like, well, <laughs> I, I guess I'll find a favorite character in this movie. This, And so Mater is like, I actually legitimately love Mater. And that scene where he's the, he, he's the waiter, I think it's in part two, and he has no disguise or at all, yes. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> and he tries, he tries to, like, play it off like it's not him. <laughs> Everything he does is hilarious. The, the part in part one where he says that it's the you're my best friend scene, I can't reenact it, but it's uh, just – I love him. I knew I made a good choice in what? What? Find a movie best choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> see you later. Can you get me a ride in one of them McQueen, helicopters? Queen yeah. and Sally. K I G F I N C. He says that uh, what's the, the line we always get is uh, you know I used to pay attention to this girl named Doreen. She looked like a jaguar, but she was a truck. I used to bump into her just so I could spoke to her. What are you talking about? I don't know. Yeah, I've seen it enough. Okay, Sean. <laughs> all right, so I've I've gone on long enough for the discussion without kind of, and I may I may go back and do an intro with this being a video call. Uh, I may just run no. it just how it is, but usually I do an intro where I kind of go over where you came from and why you're. Why you've been selected for Dan for Dan time? Well, selected and accepted the invitation. Oh, thank you. Yes. So, for as long as I can remember, you've been a performer of of some sort. Yeah. Does it go back to like fifth grade, sixth grade, where you've had an interest in music or getting on stage and acting? I mean, did, did you do talent shows, things like that? So it started when I was a kid, and I, we lived in a neighborhood that didn't have any. And so I ne- I've never in my life had a time where I want to get on my bike and go to so-and-so's house. Um, so my, my wife corrected me at the time because I always said that when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of friends, like really young. I played with myself. And she said, you need to tr- correct that. You played by, by yourself. <laughs> I go, oh, okay, the whole time. So I always said that I, I always played with myself. I would reenact a movie and I would be the bad guy and the good guy. And um, I had a little teeny tiny boombox that was like a hand-me-down from my brother that was a cassette player. And I remember I had Guns N' Roses, uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 on the cassette. And I would just sit in my bedroom and play that, side one to side two, and just try to sound like Axel. And then my, my brother's high school girlfriend, her mother at the time, gave me 10, just fourth grade Christmas, as like a stocking stuffer. And I, I immediately went to a shift. I did not care about Guns N' Roses anymore. I was solely focused on Pearl Jam. And then I would just sit in my bedroom, track 1 to 11, and just sing every song and just like – in my room picking up toys or something like that and i never really thought about well i thought about performing but not in reality until like middle school when uh john hunter one of your brother's friends and my friends from middle school and elementary school he said that his band was going to be doing a talent show and we did a red hot chili peppers song and so that's what really got me into performing and it was just so interesting that i was never ever really i remember i forbade my parents for uh coming to that performance because we did the um Pazitz middle school assembly i don't know how we got that gig but my first gig was in front of like 600 students i never got nervous i was anxious about like i'm, I'm ready to do this like but it was never like I, I i gotta i gotta turn around i can't again back to playing by myself i would always just do voices and uh just entertain myself with doing voices and I, to this day a few years ago 
this is probably 10, 15 years ago, I was getting some kitchen work done in my kitchen in my uh, townhome at the time where I was living. And I had given the key, put the key under the mat because they were going to come in super early, start doing this demo stuff in my kitchen, like replacing a countertop. And I had worked that morning. I totally forgot that they were there. And I'm upstairs in the bedroom getting ready. I live alone. I don't have anybody with me. And I'm going into this Scottish accent back and forth, just being a Scottish guy, another guy. And I'm going back and forth with myself. I walk downstairs and there's two guys in my kitchen. And so the only thing I can think of is like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, if you heard all that, my room, we just got a bit of a leap in the argument. I know what to do. But like that was me. If nobody was there, I do it in my car. I just talk to myself and do different impressions. And so that kind of paid out when I got into radio in 2000, yeah, 2003. Two years of that before they started saying like, hey, would you really be do a, would you be willing to do a bit for us? It blew up from there. I've always been a performer to myself. I never really, a performer to no audience. That's what I was always used to. I love it, Sean. I didn't, I never really knew just how long you were a producer on WJOX 94.5 FM in Birmingham, uh, a cumulus media station for the Jocks Roundtable. I mean, uh, people outside of the Birmingham yeah. area do not realize how much of a staple this program was. I think it was it a three hour show, a three hour morning. Well, it was, we were, it started when Lance started it. It started as a one hour show because Whip Sanderson did not want to do a three hour hit a show with Sonny Smith. And he did not want to do a three-hour show. So they said, well, well, two hours, but we got to kill one hour because we have one-hour programming. And so Lance was like, I'll do a show by myself for one hour. And so I I was, uh, I was, came out about year two of the roundtable where they stretched it to two hours. Then it was to four hours. We replaced Feinbaum when Feinbaum left for uh, ESPN, our SEC network. We did his slot, and we were not successful from that four to seven slot, or two to seven, and then uh, two to six. And then we went to 10 to two. Then we went from six to 10. Uh, so I woke up very 4.30 in the morning for about 15 years, and I was wearing every time slot. So it was, it was interesting, and then how the and then we started our own thing called The Next Round. We started that in 2021, and we've been going strong, and this is our start of our third year. It was crazy. It's just remarkable, Sean, and your involvement in a show like that, to be in your early 20s for a number, a number of years unbroken, to wake up at 4.30, or did you say to get oh. there at 4.30? Uh, uh, no, uh, get there around about 5, 5.15, but I, I, before and go to work. It was just, well, also you got to consider this. If you're, when your show's over at 10, you can be home by 11 to get, take a nap and being a musician and playing like it, it, at that age, I was playing bars a lot. So playing at bars to like 1 a.m. No, like I got to get up in three hours. That wasn't fun. That aspect wasn't because you always look forward to, all right, about 11.30, I'll, I'll be able to go home and take a nap. So just, just keep that in mind. 11.30, you can go home and take a nap and I sleep till like two, two or three. So it wasn't very healthy, wasn't a very healthy lifestyle, but it got to where I am now. So I never in my mind that I think if, if you ask my fourth grade, so uh, you think you're going to be in sports broadcasting? Like, no, absolutely not. I got into sports broadcasting. It's just a happy accident. Sean, uh, and the audio is cutting out a little bit. Are you, I know you're outside your house, but are you um, on the far end of your modem location or are you closer to it? I'll get closer to it. The sun is beating my fair skin. There we go. <laughs> We should be good um, Yeah, but I, I, I remember I've known you since I was 16 or you were 15 or, or around that time period and then into our early 20s. And I would see you at parties at somebody's house and then it's midnight or something. And you're like, hey, guys, I got to go. And at the time, I just I didn't see what all was going on and why you were putting in the effort. Why, you know, why that was what you had to do. You know, I was kind of, I was over here and you were over there. I didn't always see you. But one thing I did notice was you didn't get involved in the drinking, the drugging, the smoking, none of that stuff. And No, I've never, I've never had a drag of a cigarette in my entire life. I think I passed that test in seventh grade. A bunch of people were spending the night at a friend's house. And I remember we snuck out of his bedroom onto the, he got his bedroom in the second story would you could get onto the roof by just going out of his window and we went on the roof and somebody had one cigarette from their brother. There's like six guys and they were like taking drags. And as I just remember that day so vividly because that was the day I was like, no, I got such peer pressure to do, just do it. And I didn't do it. Never had any illicit drug. I've never, I've drank probably three times in my life. I just never really got into it. I, I don't know. I, I, I just never knew the peer pressure of it. So I'm glad I never smoked, especially being a singer. Um, and I saw a lot of my high school friends addicted to cigarettes and, I guess now the cool thing is to do is to vape. So I never got into the vaping either. Yeah, well, kudos to you, Sean, for you know taking staying strong. Take, yeah, I had a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but I, I kind of want to 
drop it now. When you look back, you look, look at where you are and where you were, where you used to be, your favorite version of your past self. And I've got three periods here. Second grade, okay. sixth grade, Sean, okay. or 25-year-old Sean? Uh, the, I know last place would be sixth grade. Sixth grade was absolutely <laughs> yeah. miserable. Yeah, me too. I mean, like that, uh, I was at the height of being bullied. I had, had an afro. I had really bright red lips because uh, eighth graders would always make fun of me at PE for having them. I looked like I wore lipstick. I had fat cheeks and rosy red cheeks. I had buck teeth. I was pale. I was, I, I didn't have the best body, did not get any attention from any girls. And I was afraid of girls. Uh, so every day, and I was, I was, was not doing well in school. God, sixth grade was awful. Second grade or 25. That's a close tie, I guess. I would say two. 25 i'll go 25 and then second grade and then sixth grade in a very very distant last 25 i was probably still doing a bunch of bar shows like every weekend but i was also i was single pretty much doing my own thing whatever i wanted to do whenever i wanted to, i would i'm one of those guys i don't care i can go eat by myself at a restaurant it doesn't bother me uh, i would go to a movie by myself it doesn't bother me and i would do that constantly it seems like a very lonely presence but it was very, I mean, I would go take vacations by myself. Like whenever we did SEC media days that, that week, it was such a stressful week for me. I just let it get to me so much. I would take that next week off and I went to Pensacola Beach. Uh, my parents had a little condo down there and I would go by myself and my feet would not touch the sand. Uh, I would stay on this little balcony they had and I would read. And I was the only time I'd have any human interaction was when I'd go downstairs and get in my car and go to a restaurant and talk to the waitress or waiter to get my order. Then I go right back to the uh, condo finish that book in bed and go to sleep, rinse and repeat for three or four days. And it was awesome. But that was my idea of like just a perfect vacation. Just turn off everything, no, no cell phone, just sit there in silence. So the 25-year-old me, by uh, second grade me was a very, emo I was a very emotional kid. So no, uh, let's, let's do the 25. What about you? Out of those three periods, well, second grade was not a fun year. My parents moved us to Florence, Alabama and enrolled me and my older brother in Catholic school. And in, oh, the, wow. <laughs> mid, in the mid eighties, Catholic school, it, it may, may well have been like Catholic school in the mid sixties or mid fifties. It hadn't, I, I guess it hadn't changed a whole lot. It was such a cold, drab, uncaring, unwelcome environment. Uh, oh. I had just come Jeez. from a school system in Northern Virginia that was like on the cutting edge of trying out new teaching methods. And I mean, I had a blast in kindergarten and first grade, you know, I don't remember a lot of stuff vividly, but uh, I just, I remember my teachers, I remember their names. I kind of remember their images. And then, so, you know, you just, you go from such a progressive atmosphere to a small K through 12 or K through eight Catholic school in second grade. And I just remember being in class sometimes crying for some reason, whether I didn't understand something or I needed help tying my shoe and nobody would help me. And my teacher would act oh, your like uniform I was, was too tight. Yeah. Or I, I had to go to the bathroom and they said, no, you don't. You just went to the bathroom. I was like, no, I have to go again. And um, instead, of, <laughs> you know, instead of being consoled, my teacher would would treat me like the disruption that I was for, for her lesson plan. And um, I got you know, hate is a strong word, but I, I, I definitely forgive that teacher. But I have no warm feelings about that school year. Uh, now, we did have some it was Florence. It was one year in Florence, Alabama. We had some fun neighborhood friends. But sixth grade, I got to relate to you on that. I don't think that they your fifth grade teacher really primes you. I, maybe they do now. They don't. I mean, when they you're about to go to like a either a seventh or eighth grade school, which we have here or a sixth, seventh and eighth middle school. They don't no one really says, hey, listen, it's going to be pretty rough next year. All they tell you is that it's going to be yeah. exciting. You're going to get to change classes. You get a locker. You get. And so I remember the yeah. summer after fifth grade going into sixth grade, I was fired up. I was like, wow, I'm going to be a big kid in middle school. And man, did my world come crashing down. I, I oh, just the. The my first impression. Yeah, I mean, I, me at that age was a, a sight to behold and, and a sight to so, make fun of. <laughs> so I think a lot of us are like, I just remember my first impression of how excited uh, that PE, you got to wear a uniform, you got to wear shorts and a shirt, t-shirt. And I remember they were like teeny tiny lockers 
and you put your little uniform in there, and uh, which is crazy to me that your second period I'm going to be running around playing football, smelling like ass, and then I, I go back into a room and spray speed stick on and go back to math class and go on to the rest of my day. But I just remember that they uh, the rule was every Friday you got to take your uniform home for the weekend and wash it. And I, I would that. say 0.3% of people would do that. So that the, this, uh, to this day, smell is one of the biggest memories you have, uh, sensory memories you have. And just I can smell that locker room of just – B.O. and space stick. Yeah, right, right guard. And, and how I was to change in front of people. Um, I remember I made the mistake. Uh, here's a here's a first for you, Daniel. Uh, I knew I saw that some boys were wearing boxers, and I was like, I was always wore tidy whities. And I remember going to my mom one day. This is like sixth grade. I saw seventh and eighth grade boys wearing boxers when we were changing it, and and PE. So I said, I want some boxers. So my mom went to Parisian, I believe it was at the time, and got me some boxers. And I didn't know how they worked. I never asked quite. So I just put I didn't on know how they worked and put. <laughs> I just put tidy whities on. And put my boxers over my tidy whities and then I think somebody noticed when I was changing for a PE that day because I was super impressed that I had my boxers, so I probably changed a little slower that day. And uh, somebody saw my little uh, Fruit of the Loom uh, waistband coming out of my uh, boxers, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" And like, they, I got ridiculed for that. So sixth grade was absolute <laughs> hell. hell. It was tough. Yeah, I, I don't miss that, and I guess it's a rite of passage. I mean. I, I hope to go through it. I'm, I, it. It helps you understand a, a, a lot of kids that are bullied and everything. Like, well, I, I suffered not even like an, a, a small amount of what I got in, compared to what a lot of these kids get. So it's just like it makes you understand and have empathy for some kids that are what they're going through. So I'm glad I went through it, that I, I got through it and everything that didn't make me, you know, one of these ones that I had a, been vindictive or had vendetta against all these people that were mean to me. You know, it's just that's just part of it. It's part of life. But. You know, I'm sure a lot of bullies these days feel like I, I was such a mean kid in middle school. I can't believe hopefully they realize their ways and like just the regret they have. It's like, man, I used to be really mean to that one kid just every day for no reason. Just because he had glasses. Yeah. I mean, I, in I my, get, I'd get too emotional on you. No, no, Sean. I actually probably in my early 20s, I ran into a couple guys that were not very nice to me in sixth or seventh grade. And at least one of them, one out of the two. It seemed like he was still carrying. He had that that cross to bear, I guess. And yeah. you over time, you realize that there's a reason why some you know kids aren't born bullies. They they are lashing out either at they have an abusive father or a verbally yeah. abusive mother or they've got an older brother that's given them, you know, giving them the treatment every day. And so they're taking it out on somebody. So there's usually a source for it at the time. You just you don't understand why someone's being so mean to you. But I, I like what you said about. What we went through, it all began and ended at that school in that yeah. you really didn't think about like, oh, the whole town knows about what happened. It's just kind of what in the halls of that school. Oh, yeah. It's now it's like it's the whole uh, online component to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, just knowing that, you know, you think you're friends with somebody and then you see on, I don't know, TikTok, Facebook that six of your friends are having to spend the night party and you're not you're obviously not invite, invited or something like that. So I'm sure that's got to cut. Uh, yeah. in a different way to see like or just see these kids that like you're being left out of something when uh, they're just bragging about it on social media or then they could bully you on social media for the whole world to see uh, that you peed your pants one day or something like that. I just can't imagine that like the, the level of uh, embarrassment that happens to kids these days. Mine was strictly to me and probably like four other people in the room that saw it and then that was it. But again, it all goes back to it's relative. Kids are going through far worse than we ever what, what we ever went through. Yeah. And hopefully they have good parents or good adult role models. I didn't really have coaches so much or, or other adult figures outside of like my own dad that yeah. could kind of give me some moral support and say, hey, you know, you'd be all right, kid. Like I, I didn't really have a lot of that going on. Yeah. But when my kids, uh, they'll go through some problems, you know, but what I would like to be able to tell them when they hit those middle school years is there's a big wide world out there and you're going to see in a few years once you graduate. My eyes open up, open up to so many experiences and growing my network of friends and professional contacts once I got out of high school. And then once I went to community college, UAB, et cetera, and, and just went from there, just for, kind of forgot all about I didn't forget all about the stuff, but it just didn't matter. It became very, very small. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, it's it's, um, a, it's a much bigger deal when it happens, but in the, um, it's a much bigger deal to you when it happens. But then you you do kind of forget about it or like laugh like I can't believe I waited on that so long. I just thought about that so long. I remember I cried in my room for a whole day like in the a grand scheme of things that was nothing. But at the time it was your whole world. Skype when you break up with your first middle school girlfriend like your world is over. It's just so fun to think about now. Like God, I really had nothing to be stressed about at all. I didn't even wear deodorant. What? <laughs> Well, Sean, uh, that was a great subject. I didn't know we were going to hit on that one, but I think it's very important. And I'm glad that you and I were able to uh, share some experiences there. Hopefully this bring, this is of some value to our listeners because uh, yeah. it's just more relevant than ever. But kids, you know, kids get through it if they have a good support network. And again, bullying and that type of behavior usually comes from I heard I think it was Jerry Springer, of all people. He's he talked about the guests that he used to have on his TV show. And it would say like, well, why did you always have this like what these white trash, just th- like these types of people? Why did you focus on them? And he said, well, when they when I got them on my show, and I asked them a question, that was probably the first time for a lot of these people that they that anybody asked them what they thought about something, and then allowed them to give a response. True. You know, just that. True. And, and that really needs to go on in households more often, where the, like a parent can ask a child. What do you think about this? Whether it's what do you think? What do you think about the subject you're studying in school, or if if they have an awareness of some event in the world, you know, what do you think about what's going on? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought That's that a was good point. All right, Sean, going back to you as a a performer for many years. Now you've played uh, various venues for a number of years. Is that your real passion? Would you say is playing music? Yeah. Well, it it shifts, but it. It shifts like I, I was always a musician first and I got a job at the radio station to kind of have two jobs to like, hey, this will be my day job and I'll play music at night because eventually I'm going to be on MTV. That's that's what I'm going to be doing and um, still waiting on that. It hadn't panned out just yet, but uh, I feel like this is just the perfect moment for MTV to make a return. But and I got into I had my sense of humor to fall back on again from the bullying and stuff like that, where it was kind of a defense mechanism. But performance was always uh Number one, musical performance is always number one for me, and I've got to do a bunch of stuff with Black Jacket Symphony. I, I got to do my first uh, West Coast tour just this past March. Um, we went, I think it was 26 shows in 28 days. It was super intense with that amount of work and to keep your voice up for consecutive days. Where it's one of those things where you you uh, go to sleep in Wichita and you wake up in Lincoln, Nebraska for another show. I just never experienced something like that. It was it was amazing. It was very tiring but it's just really cool a lot of repetitiveness of rinse and repeat where you your bedroom is this little bunk in the bus and you have uh, two uh outlets that you charge your devices on and you have a pillow and a blanket and you your suitcase is under the bus and that's that's your home for a full month where and it's kind of relaxing to know like this this little spot everything i have is in this little spot my my toiletries and you got to rely on a, a venue's bathroom and some don't have showers so you have to forego a shower for a couple of days but in the long run, it was it was worth it because it's so cool. Like I've never even been to the state of California, and we played in Bakersfield and Sacramento and somewhere else. But just it's just so cool to be able to go to. Never been to Wisconsin. We are Wyoming. We played in Cheyenne. That was really cool. I'm I'm so glad I did it because that's something I've always wanted to do. And I kind of get to check that list, check it out on my bucket list. And Sean, there's some just incredible photos. I, I like people to watch the videos of Black Jacket Symphony as well, but photos of you in action on stage making that leap um, yeah. uh, off one of the rigs or the amplifiers. You guys are running through the the entire Rumors album, right? Yeah, so I've done, and you, when you think of that picture, you think, God, what, what rock concert is that? That's Fleetwood Mac, man. That's why I'm, so the cool. guy, like, I'm, the, I'm the guy that was shot out of a cannon. I like the guy that uh, wait, it was too long before he was given an opportunity. So every show, I mean, I just give it 110%. And like, I'm bouncing off the wall like a monkey to these songs that are like kind of not like super exciting. I'll give credit to our uh, photographer, Rob Harris, who was on tour with us. He would take pictures of every show and post them. And the one day I, we were doing a sound check, and Patrick Himes is one of the guitarists, and I was on his riser. And I said, I'm going to. I think I'm going to jump off the riser tonight and jump over a uh, amp. I just don't know when I'm going to do it. And uh, he missed like the first three shows because he's like, I just never knew, I just never had the timing. And so I said, well, I'll do it for the rest of the tour. I think we did it for like the last 10 shows. And he got some great shots. And it's just that kind of stuff is just real fun. But I've done the Fleetwood Mac, 
Rumors, I've done Pearl Jam 10, I've done Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, and uh, Let It Bleed, and I've done Leonard Skinner's Second Helping. Oh, and what an album. Help out on the, yeah, and then uh, Queen, um, not the opera, I do that. When, the second set I come out and do um, with uh, Mark Martell, so I've, I've done like 40 of those shows. Um, and it's been amazing. I've done like probably, God, now probably 150 shows with Black Jacket, and I've never played to that amount of people in my solo days playing at the local eatery down the street uh, where I'm ba- basically uh, background music. So it's just, I don't know you know Mark Martell is. He's the one that does the Queen stuff. And he sounds just like Freddie Mercury. His voice was good on the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. He was doing all the background Freddie Mercury stuff like vocally that for uh, Rami Malek. And so we had a show. We had two shows in Talladega. This is probably 2018. Mark and I had a relationship. We had a friendship. We developed a friendship a little bit over these performing these past three, four years. And so we were doing sound check, and he's like, you drove all the way to Talladega for just this one song to do Under Pressure. And I was like, I did. And he was like, uh, that's just crazy. And I was like, well, I'll let you, I'll tell you why. Just stay tuned. And uh, so about two weeks later, I was playing at a country club in Birmingham at, at their bar or something like that. And I took a picture. There was actually, there was one bartender, and there was absolutely nobody in the entire room, like not one person. So I sent that picture to Mark, and it's like, this is why I away uh, because I get to perform with a professional lighting system, a professional sound system, and 1,100 people that are like super stoked to see, and you get to perform with these great musicians. And I was like, this is why what one song does, and like to still have that hunger as a musician, like I, I try to never forget that. And he was like, okay, I get it, I totally understand. I was like, so like I'm literally, this is me playing to myself and a bartender right now for three hours, and it's very common for what I do. I do it a lot. Um, so I just try to never forget that there's going to be gigs that are just like these these tours we did. Sometimes you're just super tired, like, oh, my God, we got a show tonight. And it's just like you try to think back to like, OK, what's your alternative? The alternative playing in front of nobody, uh, getting very little pay. So this is what you've always wanted. Suck it up. And so I always try to remember that. And I bet you're in, you're thinking about the exposure when you get those calls and someone asks you to go out on the road and do something like that of that size. And Sean, just knowing you. I'm willing to bet when you get on stage and you're, like I said, in Bakersfield, California, Cheyenne, Wyoming, are you thinking, I'm going to give these people something to remember. If they picked me to fill this role, I'm going to yeah. be, nobody's going to do this like I'm going to do this. You say that, yes, and but also it's a kind of a sense of relief when it's not like local because if it's a local show, people know you and know your personality. For this, it's great because you can, you're, you're, you're doing another band's material but we're not a we're not a tribute band where i'm not trying to be lindsey buckingham i'm not trying to hate him we're just trying to sound like it and then be our own personalities but what's cool with those shows nobody knows who i am so i can almost be this character super energetic and super into the music and, and focused and just kind of let loose to a point because you're not like it's not like my parents in the audience and like when you, they see you afterwards like we've never seen that side of you and it's like you get to unleash that side where Never in my life would I, if you told me at 15, saying, Sean, you're going to be playing in front of a lot of people, but you're going to be playing Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond and uh, songs like that. I'd be like, no, absolutely no way. But to be in front of it and to have a crowd, it's all dependent upon the crowd. If they're loving it, like it's just like, all right, this song's super cheesy, but this crowd, this is 2,000 people going ballistic over Sweet Caroline, and I'm, I'm leading it. Um, so that that was always the motivation and stuff like that. But 15 year old me would be like, call me a sellout, like you're a you're a loser. And it's like, well, you know, just uh, I tell that 15 year old version of me, just wait to what you're gonna have to go through and you'll see why. Uh, but like, no, it's just that that kind of stuff is it's great to be somebody else to have develop another person. Now, there's a there's a performance version of me and there's a everyday version of me. So I I, I think that's fun to have both of those to scratch that itch. I love it. That, you know, Damon Johnson from Brother Kane, I remember several years ago, maybe it's been 10 years or more, when he got he got the call to be the bass player for Alice Cooper. And you're thinking, wow, he's got a pretty good thing going on, either with his solo career or Brother Kane, maybe not like a huge star, but you get that call. And whether you whether he even liked most most of the Alice Cooper catalog, which maybe he did, you just can't, how do you turn that down? Or there's another um, Leonard Skinner bass Damon, player. Damon Johnson. Damon Johnson, okay. Damon yeah. Johnson, he was he was on our show a while back ago, and he's played with he's playing with Thin Lizzy, and he's playing with Leonard Skinner, and it's just like you can't you can't not take those calls. And he was playing with um, Alice Cooper for the longest time, and then he just they they reached out to Skinner, and he's been with them. So it's just you know that 16 year old version of you that's like oh my god I am when I am now playing in one of the 
most legendary Southern rock bands of all time. Uh, it's surreal. And of course, of course, you wanted to be, I want to be known as Brother Kane. I want to have, be an original artist, but sometimes the road takes you in another direction. And uh, Damon is a super nice guy. I've always loved him. He's always been friendly man to me. Uh, big inspiration for that. Brother Kane Seeds album, I wore that out in seventh grade. Uh, so it's just, I, I love to see the success that he's had. He's got a, do you remember uh, the CD warehouse days when I was, when I was behind oh, yeah. the counter at the music store? Oh yeah. He put out a solo album back then around 1999, 2000 that I've got on, I've got on uh, Apple music yeah. now. Uh, it's got some great, uh, great tracks on there. There's, I think a, a reworked version of got no shame. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah but that's, that, that's what put him on the map is got no shame. That great uh, topper prize playing um, harmonica. All right, let's just follow up on this end. Um, I kind of remember your early influences with Eddie and Pearl Jam, and uh, who have you loved for since your teenage years, and who have you picked up on that's like, who are some uh, musicians or bands that you're a big fan of? So it all started with me musically. I've told this story. The first cassette tape I ever had was Eddie Money in the single uh, Walk on Water. So that would be first grade for me. I think it was 87, 88. I had that, and that's what really opened my horizons to um, singing and being obsessed with music. But Pearl Jam was always number one for the longest time. I loved the alternative scene. I loved the Chili Peppers, Metallica. I don't give a lot of new musicians a chance, it seems like. I, I really don't discover new musicians. I don't have, I don't listen to what's, what's hot on the radio on Sirius or satellite or anything like that. So I'm still stuck because of Spotify and all these things. You can just make a playlist of stuff you grew up on you've always loved. And it's just hard to be exposed to newer artists because it's it's my fault for not just giving it a shot so it's pretty much stayed the same i've been doing these rolling stone shows for the black jacket symphony i've opened my eyes to a bunch of rolling stone stuff i've, I've never really even paid attention to like uh, there's a song called i got the blues on sticky fingers that's easily probably one of my top 100 favorite songs of all time now i have never wasn't even on my radar and same thing with leonard skinner i need you from leonard skinner on a uh, second helping oh yeah was, that song was never on my radar until the first time i when we covered, I was like, God, this is a great song. And so stuff like that. And that these songs are 60, 50, 40 years old. And I, I haven't been exposed to them yet because I just never gave them the time of day. But they, there's really nothing that stands out that's – I'm trying to think of the most recent artist I, I like. But it's it's been pretty much Pearl Jam. I love Tool, Radiohead, Oasis. I can do some Pantera. I'm, I still – I just can't do the uh, the heavier, heavy, heavy is that stuff right? like yeah, I never. I can sometimes do. I I, I respect that. What is the the slower Taylor. stuff? <laughs> I like. What is the no, what is the slow stuff? This love. The first half of this love. Pantera. Well, my point is, Pantera is more of a melodic. There's still a melody in there. Now, when it comes yeah, to right. bands like a Cannibal Corpse, there's I can't I can't get melody out of that. I, there's super talented musicians and speed shredding guitarists and everything. But it's just like it's just everything speed. And with Pantera, there's still melody, and and the guitar solo is not super super fast to the point where it's just like they're putting the song on fast forward. Cemetery Gates, I could see you. I would lo actually love to hear you yeah. sing. Not now, but uh, at some Yay! point. Sean, <laughs> so I also remember that you covered, and maybe this hasn't been in the set for a long time, but Metallica's "Mama Said." which a lot of yes. fans are, are well past that song or have just barely heard of it. <laughs> it's this experimental track, I guess you'd call it that, that they dropped on the Load album. And Load was right. so out there anyway. I mean, it threw – people either loved the Until It Sleeps, King Nothing stuff, or they were like, oh, this is this is nothing compared to the old stuff. But you had to get deep into the album really to hear Mama Said. And, and you know, I was kind of in tune with a lot of hardcore fans at that time. And people hated Mama Said, but I liked oh, it. I, I, it. I think I think over time, even really longtime fans like that song now. But you, you did, did a really good job of it. Thank you. I did on Reload too. For Metallica, I'd always go to the slower stuff because it's like this is so out of their element. So I'm, I'm interested. In like, and on Reload, I absolutely loved uh, Low Man's lyric. I would play that all the time because I could vocally do that. I'm not. You're not going to see me doing uh, Hit the Lights and stuff like that. <laughs> I got I got to be able to play slower stuff, and I absolutely love their version of Low Man's lyric. And then the where I stopped, I, I listened to the newer album, I listened to Death Magnetic and all that stuff. I could not get into Saint Anger no matter what. I can't I can't go back to it and get into it. Saint Anger is just too much. It's just I, I don't. It's like we're trying we're trying to prove a point where Kirk said I don't 
I don't need to play guitar solos anymore. You know my mm-hmm. ability. And I was like, um, I'm sure they were, they've got to admit now that God, that was probably a mistake. That wasn't the, our greatest effort. But but no, I've always respected Metallica for doing it for 40 plus years is super intense. Uh, and they're they're just touring. They just work nonstop to be touring nonstop like Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson. Just be on the road nonstop. It's just you got to admire that. Now, uh, one thing. So we had I had Dan Harrison on the show a couple weeks ago. He's a Nashville based country music singer songwriter. I really like what he's out there, what he what he's out there doing. <laughs> the doors knocking now my, my two year old again. But I think one thing he talked, one thing he alluded to. You always hear the road's tough, the road is hard, uh, that sort of thing. How much of it is just being so out of control of the food that you want to eat that you'd rather be eating instead of putting this into your body and like eating those Goodyear tire omelets at the Hampton Inn or whatever? Were well, you eating it's, the it's continental breakfast stuff? We, we were. No, we never stayed at a hotel. Everything was on the bus, and usually okay. you get a catered uh, you get a catered dinner at the uh, venue. Uh, it's not like it's not like steak or anything, but it's a nice meal. We have lunch meats and deli meats on stuff and sandwiches and stuff on the bus if you want to save money. Or you could just pull up Google and say, like, hey, what's within a quarter of a mile walking distance from the venue? And just like, hey, there's a there's a burger place or a pizza joint. And you get like three or four guys from the band like, hey, after sound check, do y'all want to go eat lunch here? And we do that. And like, that's just really cool. And like, we we didn't have time to go see the city. So it's like whatever is within 10 blocks of the venue, let's go. Like we played in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth. We played in Dallas at the House of Blues, and it was probably 10 blocks from uh, Dealey Plaza. So a bunch of us went there because I'd never been there. So we went there, and, and that's cool to see. And then we went to San Antonio. We were like half a mile from the Alamo. And I was like, I've never seen that, so let's walk over to the Alamo, that kind of stuff. And then you just eat on the way. So it was never any – we just never had the hotel life where, like, you're thinking about bands. When you first start, they're in a Sprinter van, and, like, hey, we have exactly $200 between five of us all day or for the next two days. So we got to spend accordingly. We got to sleep on the van. We got to sleep in the van or we got to get one hotel room for one person. Um, so I've never been through that struggle fest. So I, I can't imagine. And you Ordering. do have like Metallica. Yeah, Metallica. The dollar menu. Bands have, yeah, the dollar menu. Yeah, and just like going to a buffet and just like we're just going to stay here all day. But I never have to go through that, thank God, not yet. So, but yeah, the, the tour was great. Had a lot of quesadillas. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Phoenix, Arizona. I remember I, if you had to ask me what I had the most in that tour, I would say I probably had 28 days. I probably had 20 quesadillas. I'm a creature of habit. Once you got started on them, there. Hey, this is good stuff. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's like I just I'm just a creature of habit. It's like this taste. I got. I'm familiar with this. I'll just order the next restaurant. I'm not going to be the guy that's ordering sushi. Nope. Okay. Well, Sean, we have covered a lot of ground here today. I man, I usually try to pepper in so many funny questions. I may only have a couple well, here. You, you, you may have to get back to daddy duty though. Well, you can do it again. Let's confirm a yeah, second I got episode. Bang on my door too. Okay. Yeah, I'll do another one. No problem. Sean, I have and thoroughly. I'm to get you tell you something. Go ahead. I said I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope you have too. I know you're like pacing your front porch, and I'm thinking, how many people would he do this for? So. Uh, uh, well, I got. <laughs> Three more after you. Three more. <laughs> no, uh, I love you. I love the Danimal. So now, good luck with everything. I appreciate you doing this, and I think it's awesome that you're sticking with it and still stick with it. That's awesome. And you got, you got, you got the guy's even got a sign behind him, so that's how determined he is. So it's about Dan time. Can I get uh, one Daniel in the Sean voice just to to run us out here? You remember that that little? Dan. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Whenever I see Daniel, who's what are you six seven? I'm, How tall are you? I'm six five. No, I thought you were six. Whenever I see a six five individual, and I see that's Dan, and it's a crowded room, I would no matter where the <laughs> if we could be in a church sanctuary, I would always say Daniel, and they would always crack a smile and an embarrassing smile on his face. All right, Sean. Well, uh, we'll have to pick. We'll have to leave this to be continued. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And folks, remember, if you got a 17-month-old, a two-and-a-half-month-old, a 14-year-old, and you're losing your freaking mind over this madness, just remember, 
It only lasts so long. And listen to those old folks. Listen to those empty nesters who live in those quiet houses and they get to keep the Fox News on all day or the MSNBC on all day. Like that, you will get back to that. You will have that time again. So enjoy it. Enjoy the madness and relish the disruptions. And just lean into it. Okay, Sean, you got to go. I got to go. I, I love, love you, Sean Hinegar. Be good, man. Take, let that delivery driver in. My God. <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. All right, man. That's it for you. Dan Time. You guys have a great week. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, if you love that episode, tell a friend about it. I think every show probably asks you to leave a review, leave a rating, and I appreciate it if you do. But if nothing else, just talk about Dan Time. It really helps the visibility of the program. Send someone a text about it. You can uh, find Dan Time on all the social media pages, except maybe TikTok. And you can also reach me at dantimepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.